This movie's good, David. It's not a bad, it's not a bad flick. We talked about the killing of Apollonia and you laughing about it for some reason. So I don't think we need to go through. Talk it about a memeable moment. No, that was sad. I actually no, Apollonia, no. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched The Godfather. So you've after seen... All, after, after all this time. After all this time. So you've seen this before. Yeah. I, um, I probably watched it like 2013 for the first time. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like that long ago. It's eight years. Yeah. Um, and it was funny uh, watching some of this. I was a little bit like expecting a scene to happen and then it happened differently i was like oh that might have been goodfellas so i got a lot of goodfellas vibes from this but i don't know I, okay follow me on this logic i think i actually like goodfellas more but the pacing for godfather was better because it felt like it went by faster and goodfellas felt like it dragged um well i didn't feel like goodfellas dragged but I do think for a three-hour movie that this is paced incredibly well. Yeah. It's also like, it's violent in the amount of people that die, but not in the graphic. Like, it's not really, really that graphic. Yeah. And it's it's kind of, could be considered in slow slow in parts, but not to me. And so the fact that you're able to make a movie that well, that lasts three hours long, but is paced that well? Is is that entertaining? Um, I think is like a testament to why it's you know so revered. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's for th- like the three hours goes by very quickly. They do. I mean, there's some. So, I guess we'll just kind of go into it. Uh, but what what I was just gonna say briefly is that as far as the pacing goes, I do think it was really well paced in the fact that it felt fast but at times it felt like there was like some places where it went too fast like when all of a sudden the the corleone family was being targeted right um and i was just like was it just because you wouldn't do the deal with uh the what is it salazo 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 family of the um like he didn't he didn't want to get into like the the drug business i'm like that's why they're being offed uh and i was like oh yeah i guess so and just that whole thing and then michael's kind of like whole turnaround being like yeah i don't want to do this and now i'm totally wanting to do this i was like i those two arcs i would say in like both story and both character i thought took a really sharp turn uh maybe i think the the michael part made sense to me as far as he didn't want to be a part of that life but you could definitely tell even in the beginning how much like love and respect he had for his family his father you know he the way he talked about the don uh you know vito corleone to k yeah and like the the way he spoke about him showed like the respect he had for him and the admiration. And so to me, it made sense that, you know, he didn't want to be a part of this life, but his dad has been attacked. His family's in tatters. 
the guy who should not be in charge, you know, his brother, Sonny. I mean, Fredo shouldn't be in charge either. Like, it's no. almost <laughs> like, it's like, what, what was he going to do? And, and the other thing too, of like, you know, he's been this guy who's kind of loved America and, and respected like the, you know, he's in the military. Right. And he just like, he has this, this kind of patriotism about him to have like, as your father is almost killed, like to have a cop break your jaw and try and get you thrown in jail so that he can kill your father. I mean, that also will change you too, you know? And I think that was really the turning point for him was, um, was the cop. I don't remember his name right now. Um, McCluskey. Yeah. yeah, Whatever. Um, Yeah. That, I think that was like the big turning point where he was like, okay, you're fucked. And I'm I'm gonna fuck you up. No, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. I think so it's pretty obvious. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do. Oh, I know we're skipping a little ahead. So if you want to back up that the opening scene, I I never <laughs> I never realized like the most iconic scene for the movie was like the first scene. So I was like, oh, we're just we're just jumping right into this, aren't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. The you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, asking me for <laughs> a favor. Yeah, I uh, you. I didn't notice it until I read about it and it was pointed out to me, but did you notice the, the way the camera was used on the opening shot? You know, the, the mortuary guys, like, you know, I believe in America. I love America. Um, and talking about these guys that try to rape his daughter and then just beat the shit out of her. And like, he didn't get justice. Apparently the his, his name is like Buenosara or something. Buenosara. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the shot is, very zoomed in on him and then it's apparently like a two to three minute zoom out all the way past the back of the don's head uh they used like at the time like a very like new camera to to make it happen and it's i didn't notice it because it was so kind of subtle until like it's pointed out and you're like oh yeah that did happen yeah it was like that um that shot in uh what oh yeah it was goodfellas right when they're at the diner and that like the zoom in pan out shot yeah, but this is like, it's probably a pan of like six feet, but it took two minutes. You know what I mean? Like that, that pan didn't take, that was like 20 seconds. Yeah, that's true. And the fact that it was, it was new for the, for the times. Um, and I always thought the Don's cat was white. I don't know. It's just in my head, right? That's, that's James Bond. You're thinking of a Bond villain? Am I thinking of a, am I thinking of a Bond villain or am I thinking of Doctor Evil from Austin Powers? One and the same to me. Uh, um, so okay, so, so the I, cat is not white, um, but he does. I love how he pulls the the like the rose, like the flower from his lapel, and just like smells it at the end of that scene. Like, but yeah, everything about him, like, there's definitely like some acting choices going on with the way uh, Marlon Brando is playing it, like. I um I love that scene though because at this point we know if you haven't seen The Godfather you still know everything about it right or you know a lot about it and but for audiences going into it the first time I think that scene perfectly sets up Don Corleone's character right well, it's like whole, he's not the whole day does right because yeah. the whole like first 30 minutes of the movie it feels like takes place on that wedding day and he's making deals in his office going out and then michael is talking to Kay about his family and him and like a couple of other guys his brother the bodyguard 
So you get this like full exposition without feeling like you're getting an exposition. Right. No, absolutely. And the wedding is really cool. And apparently like in order to film it, they just had the people act like they're at a wedding and he just, you know, took kind of B-roll to like really like bring out the, the wedding aspect of it. But in particular, the, the bonus era part, he's, you know, this guy comes to him and he's like, how much will it cost? I want you to, to kill these guys. And just for him to say like, listen, you know, you've known me forever, but you don't want to be my friend. And I respect that. But now you come to me <laughs> where he's like, and ask me to do murder for money. Like, I love the line reading, yeah. but just if you'd come to me as a friend and if you'd come and ask me, you know, called me Godfather, you don't even call me Godfather. I, you, know, <laughs> you don't call me God. I mean, I'm, I'm a Godfather, David. And uh, I don't, now I just want everyone to call me Godfather. No, but what's not a, also... What, not a single person will do that. I know. Uh, no, but what's funny too is that he's like... And, and I'm sure we've all had this friend or like this acquaintance in our life where it's like, hey, I need this favor because you, you're the guy to like ask this favor for. Like I know being in Florida right? It's like, oh, I know someone who works at the parks, like whether it be Disney or Universal. It's like, hey, do you have some free park tickets? It's like, wait, you, you, you never want to just hang out with me on a normal day and like grab a cup of coffee, but now you want to ask me for, so like, we're not friends. <laughs> we're not friends. I don't know you like that, right? But, no, um, but the point is, one, you know that he doesn't need money, right? From the, his house and just from what he says, this guy's like, you know, you're asking me to murder these people for money. I, that's not what I want. Like, I wanted your friendship. And then also, as he makes it clear, I want an ability to ask for a favor in the future because I know I'm going to need it. I want an ongoing reciprocal relationship. Which and then, honestly, and it later on in the movie, you know, at that point, any good movie is going to like set up something in the beginning and then have a good payoff in the end. But I didn't feel like that was like, I thought, I thought coming back to the, more guy the undertaker and asking him for a favor it was going to be much more than what it ended up being yeah but, but that's also kind of the point i'm making is he doesn't you know throughout the movie he is set apart kind of as almost like a like a noble like a noble mafia guy right i mean like he doesn't ask he doesn't ask this guy eventually like hey hide drugs in a casket for me or get rid of dead bodies he's like hey my son was murdered yeah and i want him to look good but i, I, I thought to... it, i thought it was exactly going to be of getting rid of dead bodies and hiding drugs in coffins right and what's funny too is everyone who asked for a favor from the godfather eventually had to pay that favor back in the movie which is is nice um but the other thing too is he's like you asked me to murder these guys he's like that's not justice your daughter is still living. Like you're asking me for vengeance. You're asking me to go beyond like what would be right. Right. And so that's the other thing too, is like, he does have this moral compass, which comes again when they talk about the drugs and he's like, you know, this is a horrible business to get into one. I'm going to lose my political influence was, which these, this influence, these favors, that's what he values. Yeah. Like, he's like, you're going to make me jeopardize that for something that I don't believe in. And I think is going to be bad. And, and he probably turned out to be right. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny too is that his character reminded me of um, a lot of Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, as like if Citizen Kane became like a big mafia guy, right? You know, it's funny about that. And I'm there's too many casting what ifs for the, like or you know they wanted they wanted part. Orson Welles to be 
No, Orson uh, Welles wanted to be Vito Corleone really badly. And Coppola, like, was, a, I think, a friend of his and, like, didn't want to upset him, but he wanted Marlon Brando. But Orson Welles, like, really went after this part, which wow. would have been interesting, but I... It would have been good. So, okay, now you've got, you've piqued my curiosity. Who was going to be Michael? Um, I think Jack Nicholson was one, but he, like, turned it down because he said it should be an Italian-American. Um, I don't know. Apparently, the, the only other thing I heard is that De Niro was supposed to play a part in this, and yeah. they, really wanted Al, they really wanted Al Pacino for Michael, and so he had to trade De Niro to play that part in order to get Al Pacino for this. De and then Niro obviously to play what part? Um, I think it's like bang the drum slowly. Okay. Um, not important to what we're talking about. No, no, no. It's fine. I just, I was curious. Um, also, since we're on the subject of casting, I did not recognize Diane Keaton. Yeah, she looks a lot different, for sure. A lot different. Um, it's obviously a more reserved role than, like, the Diane Keaton of, like, the movies we've seen. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a good part. It's, it's, you know, it's a small part, but I think obviously pretty, pretty integral in, like, exploring the, like, the psyche of Al Pacino in this as far as, like, having to go into this world, but trying to stay a part of it and just like getting kind of uh, pulled into it, but trying to still keep his family, which I think you get into a lot more, you know, in the second and then the third, if you venture into that one. Um, I, I, I Talking a little bit more about the wedding. Um, I just like the whole scene of it. You know, the feds outside, like taking down plates of all these people there. Right. 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 The, uh, the other like mob boss that gets a photo taken of him and has the camera taken away and the film pulled out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I specifically like, you know, first you got um, Robert Duvall who plays Tom Hagen explaining like the whole, like no Sicilian can refuse the request on his, on his daughter's wedding. Um, but I think my favorite part of the wedding is Luca Brazzi. Oh, the, the big, the big hitman guy who's uh, practicing, practicing his practi lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I did read that he filmed the talking to Marlon Brando first and was obviously super nervous about it, and so that first take was just him fucking up. And then Coppola liked it so much that he did the him practicing afterwards and added it in, which I think he's probably one of the most interesting, like unexplored characters in this movie because you get like that little bit of like how nervous he is. And he's like, I don't even know if I'm going to get invited to this wedding. Right. But then you also get Pacino telling the story about Johnny Fontaine and how, uh, you know, Vito Corleone got him out of a contract by going with Luca Brazzi to, and held a gun to this guy's head. And I love the line of like, either your signature or your brains are going to be on this contract, like one way or the other. I, um, I also really like that um, scene. Uh, because that's the first time you hear the uh, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. And so, and you're like, either do it or die. That's like, right? It puts it in the audience's brain. Like whenever you hear that um, saying for the rest of the movie, 
it's like okay it, it's a it's a um, ultimatum uh, yeah like a, a death ultimatum and that comes up a lot like even like at the beginning where he tells Kay this story he prefaces it with like the fact that he is nothing like the rest of his family and then he's like he made him an offer he couldn't refuse so you're like okay michael is like never going to be the type of guy to threaten someone's life and then that's just totally blown out of the water because there's like i'll make him an offer he can't refuse like nine other times in this film I think it's two, but I get your point. Um, it is two. I, <laughs> I, uh, I like the part where they talk about Hagen, you know, the Hagen story of like him being taken in as a kid because that plays out really well throughout the rest of the movie of like he feels like one of the brothers and they, for the most part, treat him like one of the brothers. And Vito when it comes down to like family business. Yeah. Well, and Vito treats him like a son, right? Yeah. But when it push comes to shove, like, you know, he gets sent to Vegas or when Sonny's mad, he's like, he's not your father. Like, you know, da, 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 da. And then, you know, you can see like Tom's, you know, hurt by that. And so the, the dynamics of their relationship, I think are, are really cool. And so that one little bit of one explaining that to, you know, expose Vito's character, but then two to like, it's, it, the exposition works really well and it plays out perfectly for the rest of the movie. It's not just a line to like add character elements. It's like important to know. And it's, it's seen throughout like, okay, that makes sense. But I, I feel like that is throughout the entire movie. Like I, I feel like anything we get explained or set up in the beginning plays out a large, large part of the role, whether plot wise or character wise um, and not just once or twice, but like throughout the entirety of the film. The other thing I like is uh, I, I can't believe they put all these like super iconic scenes all the way in the beginning of the film. But the horse head in the bed. Right. Um, yeah. And how that's set up to be like, oh, this is my prized horse. And he like pats him on. He's like, yeah, it's like, you know, no, you know, I mean, that's you like know where it's going. What's funny too is when I was when it was about to come on, I was like, "Yeah, I remember that horse head not being real." And then when it showed up, I was like, "That looks pretty damn real." And it was a real horse head. Really? Yeah, they bought it from like um, like a dog food manufacturer or something. What? Yeah, yeah, that was a real horse head. And there's like a urban legend behind the filming of it that the actor didn't know it was a real one. Like they had used a fake for uh for like the run through and then they put it in and he like actually freaked out about it. Jesus. So, yeah, I mean that, that whole scene is, you know, that whole story is pretty cool. I, you know, Tom Hagen going out there. I mean, the setup of that is when we first meet Johnny Fontaine, which um, is historically thought to represent a certain singer. Did you know that? Um, I mean, who? Sinatra. Okay. Yeah, and apparently though the the author of the book has stated publicly that it's not supposed to be Sinatra even though it's kind of like a I think it was a a well-known thought amongst people that Sinatra had like mob ties Uh um and so people said that though this character was based on Sinatra and Sinatra saw the author in public one time and like cursed him out and yelled at him in public and so the author has come out and said it wasn't him but is probably Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, you don't act that defensive unless you have something to hide. Also, I'm pretty pretty sure I saw a Sinatra documentary where it was like that dude definitely had mob ties. Right. 
yeah i mean allegedly i don't know <laughs> right right yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> allegedly um we live in new but, hampshire by the way um but also so they set up i don't know what fucking joke you just did but they set up that you know johnny fontaine wants this movie this really big movie that's gonna make him a star and the godfather starts slapping around he's like what are you a woman you're crying in front of me like act like a man um which is also funny because from reading this there are two characters two actors that had mob ties in this movie uh like in real life that helped them get these parts and apparently johnny fontaine is rumored to be one of them (laughs) and apparently several scenes had to be rewritten and like reshot because he was not a good actor and they had to like shoot him from behind and he like couldn't get emotional for the scene and like the godfather's yelling at him for crying and he like he couldn't cry so that's funny that's actually really yeah i mean jesus thinking of it that way like that's kind of this is whole like a whole risky movie to make right yeah i mean yeah because there were so many like first of all like the studio apparently wasn't happy with coppola and they wanted to bring in other people but brando said he was going to quit if they're brought in um oh one other person they were going to bring in burt reynolds to play a part in this movie (laughs) and apparently brando hated burt reynolds and said he would quit so that didn't happen um so yeah this thing could have gone really bad i think the first draft was like two hours that he sent in the first like cut of the movie and the studio was like make it a lot fucking longer which is like why we have like the three hour version now um so yeah this like this could have turned out horribly i think El- i also read that elvis really wanted to try out for the movie because he loved the book <laughs> jesus so it's like you know yeah i mean it's like you constantly have these movies where they like want to cast it a certain way and then luckily it gets cast a much better way. Like you've ever, you know, have you heard about the original concept for bad boys? Like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence bad boys. Yeah. It was supposed to be, I think John Lovitz and like, I think it was David Spade. Maybe I know John Lovitz for sure. I don't even know who I can't put a a face to the name. You don't know who John Lovitz is. Well, I I'm sure I do as soon as i look him up oh that's john lovitz yes okay oh it was john lovitz and dana carvey not david spade oh dana carvey okay which that would have been a completely different and probably not great movie you it would have been funnier i guess if that's what they were going for i'm not saying will smith and martin lawrence isn't funny I'm saying I feel like they gave it sort of a cool vibe and I don't get a cool vibe from John Lovitz and Dana Carvey. You do not. Um, But anyway, so this, we get back to the Godfather saying he's going to make him an offer. He can't refuse to, and get Johnny Fontaine the movie. Right. Um, And then also right after this, you get, I think a pretty important part of the movie at the beginning too He's taught, you know, they ask, uh, Tom Hagen asks, what, what should we do with your new son-in-law, Carlo? And he's like, you know, give him a living, nothing in the family business. Um, you know, we got to keep that separate from, and it, you kind of wonder when you get to the end of this, like, did that bite him in the ass, like keeping him out or, you know, yeah, you're you know going to have mean? to kind of talk me through that ending, uh, because I do have, I do have some questions, uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Let's not get there yet. 
We'll get there, definitely. I think the next logical thing to kind of talk about is uh, the Salazzo, Salazzo family. Um, yeah, but uh, real quick, I do want to say um, the mansion that the head of the studio owns yeah. is freaking crazy. Um, you can buy it for like $85 million right now if you're interested. Oh, it's for sale. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a cool like $100 million cut off the price tag. So if that's something yeah, you're uh, interested in. Well, usually when uh, when uh, houses get cut off, the um, like large portion gets cut off the price tag, right? It's because something has died in the house. And <laughs> was it the horse? horse? It was the horse. That's, that's uh, the joke. No, that was the lead up to it. My bad. I ruined your joke. No, the only thing I want to say about this part is I think obviously Robert Duvall is pretty great in it. I love the line of, you know, first of all, I remember the studio head having like a really good reason for like wanting to keep Johnny Fontaine out of the part. You know, he, he says like, yes, this part will make him a star and I'm never going to fucking give it to him. And you want to know why? And I thought it was like, he took this girl and got her hooked on drugs and ruined her life or whatever. He's like, no, he's just fucking this girl that the studio boss loves. <laughs> he's like, that's why he's like never going to get it. Still somewhat understandable, I guess, if you have that much power. But also, I love to- let, me, let me ask you real quick. If a movie was made like today or in the last like 20 years, starring Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, and Al Pacino, I'm pretty sure it would be a romantic comedy love triangle. Plus- Robert, du- Robert Duvall would have like a, a southern accent too. Yeah, yeah, Diane, Ke- Diane Keaton would have one of those jobs that she's like really stressed out, but then she finds like a relaxing like paradise to go to, and she like right. Has to, Al Pacino yeah. and Al Pacino and Keaton both live in New York. Yes, they're a little bit on the rocks. She takes a trip out to the Midwest. Yes, and she gets put on a ranch that Robert Duvall runs. The pictures in the brochure she used, like online, not what it seemed. Mm-hmm. But she's stuck here. Deposit's gone. And um, Al Pacino realizes he misses her. So yeah. Halfway through the movie, he comes, but he's already losing her. And then, yeah, that's where. That's yeah. a movie I, I'd watch. Yeah, 100%. And uh, he doesn't know how to get her back. So he goes to the shopkeep owner for some advice. And he's played by Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando's dead. No, I know. But I'm, I mean, this movie doesn't exist anyways. So who cares? Yeah, no, but. What? Okay, played by John Lovitz. <laughs> All right, now we got a, now we got a movie. Now we got a movie. Um, but I, I, real quick before we get to Salasa, which is what you want to talk about, I love the the line from Robert Duvall about, you know, sorry, uh, can your car take me to the airport? Uh, Mr. Corleone wants to hear bad news immediately. And just <laughs> yeah. like the uh, like Hagen is he's playing a lawyer, so obviously it makes sense. But his lines are written so perfectly for. I'm getting a point across. I'm not threatening you. I'm not doing anything illegal, but I'm just telling you in plain terms, like you're fucking making a mistake right now. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's great. No. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these like, well, all right, we'll get, I'm jumping ahead in my head. So we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. But so let's talk about Salazzo because he wants them to do, so he sits them all down, right? Like there's this whole little dinner uh, meeting scene well it's in like a factory and i think they're just drinking right whatever and uh yeah so he's like dinner the, factory <laughs> to these drug things and he's like nah 
Um, yeah, well, you get Hagen explaining what Salazzo's business is, and it's a drug business. Hagen really wants to get into drugs. Sonny, who played by James Caan, really wants to get into the drugs. Everyone thinks it's a good, do- good idea, um, except Vito Corleone. You know, he thinks this is bad for my political connections. He thinks that, yeah, it'll make a lot of money, but it's also just bad, dirty business to, like, be supplying drugs and getting people hooked like in your neighborhood um and like that all makes sense but slotso doesn't really doesn't really like that answer um and, and then i guess also- i guess slotso has the manpower and the like the muscle to start thinking that he could take the corleone family out well what he has is the backing of Barzini, which we don't find out until we don't know we don't know about that yet though yeah for fucking probably what two more hours <laughs> like maybe right. an hour and a half um yeah we don't know we just we think he has like this originally we think he's just this lone guy with like you know a crew that, and that's why he needs corleone for you know men and and money and whatever and eventually we're going to find out that he probably didn't need any of that shit what he needed is the political backing and the cops so that he can, you know, not get arrested and get the drugs into the city. So here's where it lost me a little bit. Um, So they want to take out the big guy first, right? So they like lure him to like an empty restaurant and then they kill him. Yeah. Luca Brazzi. Luca Brazzi. And uh, the way they do that, I just thought was kind of cool. They were like, Hey, turn on this family the Corleones turn on the Corleones and, and, you know, be one of us. And he's like, yeah, like 50 grand. Sure. But they kill him anyways. And I was like, but then later on, Robert Duvall's like, if Lou turns on us, that'll be really, really bad. And they could have easily had him turn on him, but they just killed him anyways. Well, no, I think you missed it a little bit. Um, Vito Marlon Brando sent Luca Brazzi to pretend that he was turning on the Corleone family. Oh, because Luca I, is like Luca, I is Luca pro- wanted to do it. No, oh. he sent Luca. Luca's probably the most loyal person outside of the actual family members to the Godfather. Okay, so then, so then it was smart to take out not only the most loyal but also the the protection, well, the strongest because guy. That, that's why he's such an interesting character because and the fact that he messed up his lines like adds this whole nother layer to it because he kind of comes off as like an idiot right yeah and the way he's described tom hagan when when uh salazzo was like hey you know you might be able to convince sonny but someone's gonna have to deal with luca brazzi because there's no talking to him right because he's just this like bull and so when he finds out that you took out don corleone he's just gonna start killing people and it's really smart, and I love Salazzo's, like, I'll take care of that, when he already had taken care of that. Right, yes. But also just that whole, that whole scene is, I don't know how you felt the first time, but, like, I could kind of, as it's, as it's happening, you kind of sense something is up. But the foreboding that's, like, brewing in that scene up until when they grab his hand and stab the other one and start, you know, start strangling him which by the way that little bartender could not hold that one hand so like that part like i didn't could have been a little more like they weren't holding his arm no anyway so uh you know people are choked via piano wire uh 
couple different times in this in this film. Well, the first and last death. Was it the first death? Yeah, Luca's the first death, and the last death is um, Carlo. Carlo, yeah. Strangulation Sorry, I, bookends to the movie. I really thought. I really thought that he was going to let him go. Anyways, all right. <laughs> so did he. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. You've only uh, jumped two hours and 20 minutes in the movie, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, okay, so then they take out, well, they attempt to take out the Don. Yeah, which I think the the hit scenes are probably like my favorite parts of these movies. The when they try and take out the Don, I think is really cool. And then the the baptism taking out all the guys at the same time and i'm jumping ahead no 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 no. because hold on yes 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 i my favorite one though is um the blowing up of the car his wife yeah apollonia apollonia no apollonia no no but i love the the look back throat in the no i uh, Look, the look back where he's like looking at her and she's like waving from the car and then he looks at the guy like leaving and then she looks back and then he looks back and then he's like, oh my God, he just realized it. Yeah, <laughs> he put a lot of effort into trying to stop that bomb too. Um, but I think the, the Don attempted assassination scene is really cool. Just like the way he looks up, you see the guy's kind of slow-mo walking up to him and he knows what's up. He tries to escape very poorly and obviously gets shot a ton so of let's, times. Talk, let's talk about him trying to escape really poorly because it almost said if if you were just walking into the theaters as this scene was playing out it literally looks like the two guys were about to shoot up his cadillac and he jumps in front of his cadillac to, 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 to take all the bullets do you know how expensive it would be to replace this car <laughs> no but i mean right it, it looks like that doesn't it like, yeah, a little bit. He's on the other side of the street. Why don't you just try to like duck behind the fruit stands? Um, yeah, I mean, he could have made better decisions at that point about how to get away, but I think they were probably going to be able to shoot him. So here's the part that I'm confused about. Who do they kill right after the assassination attempt of Don Corleone? It's the one where they go in the car and the guy's in the back seat. Oh, that's that's Polly. So, so who's Polly? Well, I'll explain. So okay. right before the Don gets shot, he's inside and he s- tells his son Fredo, hey, tell Polly to bring the car around. Fredo's like, Polly called out sick, so I'll go get the car. The Don's like, uh, he's like, no, no, don't worry, I got it. And then, of course, he gets shot. Um, and this is around the time Luca gets shot. And they also, to be clear, they pick up Tom Hagen. And then there's the cool scene where Michael and Kay are walking, you know, down the street after coming out of a movie and they see the newspaper, which yes. that newspaper got out very quickly. It that did. that whole scene is, is really cool. Um, I, I love how Kay saw it and it took her like a few like minutes to think about, hey, do I like. Yeah, I don't know what was, sh- go- what, what was going on there. <laughs> it's, it's like she must have seen it out of the corner of her freaking eye, but whatever. Um, yeah. And then. Once you know, once again, so Tom got picked up. I love when he's like talking about to Salazzo, and he's just like, even Sonny can't call Luca Brazio off. Like, no one can stop that guy. Um, but that right after that, Mike comes over to the house, 
and they're all kind of sitting there and they're just sort of ordering Mike around, which is funny because he is probably the smartest one in that room. Even Tom Hagen, who's a lawyer, like he is the brightest of them. And he's like giving them ideas. I'm like, Mike, just make the phone calls. But Polly walks in and he's like, hey, do you need anything from me? And he's like sniffling and wiping his nose. And Sonny's like, no, no, by the way, you good? Are you good? Okay. Yeah, just go outside with everyone else. And then as he walks out, he tells uh, Clemenza, he's like, fucking kill that guy. I never want to see his face again. And so the next, one of the next scenes is them sort of just driving around. And I love Paulie's driving. And he, the, guy's, the guy gets in the seat right behind him. And he's like, yo, move over. <laughs> he's like, I know how this goes. Move over. Which is like, why are you even getting in the car at that point if you're worried about this guy, you know, from behind you? Um, but the, then they're just driving around the city, which... No, 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 no. I think you misunderstood that. He, wa- he was covering the rear view, and you want him to get out of the way of the rear view so he could see behind him. I he didn't misinterpret him- anything. That's what he told the guy, but he didn't want a guy behind him. The look in his eyes was like, what the fuck's going on here? Oh, you think he knew? I, I just think in that business, you're always like... So was know- it confirmed that he was paid off? No, it never was. Um, And I think that's kind of, that's smart to leave that a little bit open, right? Because he could have been paid off, but it also is, it sort of portrays Sonny as like, hey, he's not the guy that should be in charge. He makes these rash decisions. He blames Polly because he has the sniffles and had to miss a day of work when if Polly had been there, is Polly going to be able to get his gun out and shoot these two dudes before they can get a shot off? I don't know. He might not like drop it like a, freaking little idiot like Sonny. Fredo. Or like Fredo, yeah. I agree. So anyway, and that's where you get the uh, leave the guns, take the cannolis line, which is obviously iconic. What a great line. Yeah, I, I've, I've, um, I've heard people reference that, and I never knew where it came from. I didn't know if it was – I knew it was Godfather. I didn't know if it was one, two, or three, but now I do. Um. Also in this scene, right, you know, before they kill Polly, Tom Hagen is, you know, telling him what he should do. And he's like, you know, if the Godfather dies, you really need to take Salazzo's deal and like kind of let this go. And, you know, you have to know that Sonny's like incapable of that. That's right. just not in his character. Like he's going to kill everybody. Right. Um, yeah. So that's all of that. It's just like it's setting up the rest of the movie, but it's so much contained in like one scene. Like, the, all the setup we had in the beginning to set up Vito Corleone, we're now like setting up the dynamic of Sonny and Mike and how that's going to change throughout the rest of the movie. And I really do like that dynamic. Um, I also really like the fact that Carlo beating his wife, the sister and daughter of, uh, sorry, the sister of Sonny and Mike uh, and the daughter of Don Corleone, and he's beating her and Sonny having anger issues is like going to fucking kill him, right? Just going to kill him. She begs him not to kill him. But there's a period in the movie that I was just like, wait, whatever happened to Carlo? Because I was like, are they just never going to wrap that up? And I was like, I guess they're not going to. I was like 20 minutes after the movie. And I was like, I guess they're just never going to wrap that up. He wasn't at the baptism or was he? No, he was, right? When did you know that Carlo had set up Sonny? Like immediately when Sonny died? Uh, I, no, I didn't. I still didn't know. I didn't know until you just told me just now. 
Is that what happened? Uh, yes. Carlos set up Sonny, which is funny because I thought that was somewhat obvious. Um, but maybe I only thought it was obvious in retrospect from watching this movie again. Um, I mean, now that you say it and now that I think about it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's super obvious. But you have to come at it from my perspective that I was wondering the whole time, like, why did he go and beat her again? Why did he go and let her make the phone call knowing that Sonny's going to come after him? And then how did all those guys with the machine guns know where Sonny was going to be? And now that you say that, obviously, that's so super obvious. But Because yeah, um, I think I thought you would have to have... Um, would be why would you marry into this family if you're gonna beat the daughter if you're gonna beat your wife who's the daughter of like one of the most powerful doesn't take shit from anyone will kill you guys like in the city like it doesn't it doesn't really make sense and it it is kind of a, a question you can have of like had he been brought into the family in the beginning would he have done you know, that? He, but at the same time, he probably would have cheated on his wife regardless, which is what he was doing. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just kind of like this weird. But you could also say that that woman that calls and says, hey, tell Carlo that I won't see him until later tonight. That could have been part of the setup too. That, um, yeah. But if you're willing to if you're willing to kill your wife's brother, you're probably also willing to fuck other women on her, you know. So here's the thing: what's really funny is that this whole movie is jump started by their wedding, right? And it right. ends with their ultimate <laughs> separation. But uh, what's beautiful about that is that, in a way, he was behind everything. Like he was I mean, behind their ultimate downfall. And Mike is just smart enough to like get in front of that. Right. And he's also smart enough to, you know, I don't want this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to make him my right hand man. I don't want him like fucking me over. But once my dad dies, then I can, you know, as the sister says at the very end, like you waited for dad to die. So no one could stop you from killing him. Um, Which is just smart. Right. Just shows like he is, he is perfect for this role. Yeah. We have jumped way ahead. No, but that's okay, because I think at this point, um, Don Corleone's in the hospital, right? Yes, but really quickly, the, uh, the scene with the montage, montages of newspaper, where it's like right before, right after they say, you know, we got to go to the mattresses. Yeah. That was actually filmed by George Lucas as like a what? thank you to Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. For what? Um, I think he helped he helped with one of his movies. I don't remember which one um, might've been American graffiti. Um, but anyway, that was like, as a thank you, he did that part. So he's like, he's part director in the cinema, a little bit, a very small part of a three hour movie. That's funny. That's pretty good. The hospital scene is probably one of my favorites. It's as definitely well. one of my favorites. Definitely one of my favorites. Cause I love how he goes there. There's absolutely no one there. And I'm just thinking, like, is this a setup for him? Like, I don't know what I'm expecting out of this. And then there's just, like, this nurse who's like, yeah, I sent them all home. I'm like, can you even do that? 
And then you find out that, okay, the police chief really sent his own men home. Right. The other thing that's crazy, too, though, about the scene is when Mike gets dropped off and the car takes off, the music playing is, like, foreboding. Yeah. So it's immediately letting you know something's up. And then you can tell by Al Pacino's acting, he immediately knows something is up. Yeah. So it's not like it's trying to hide anything from you. But I do... I love him walking down the corridors, can't find anyone. I love when he finally finds his dad and the nurse comes in and she's like, you know, you need to leave. And he's like, I need your help to move him. She's like, we can't do that. And he's like, you know who he is. People are coming to kill him. And she's immediately like, all right, cool. Let's do this. I'll get involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it's the, uh, who is it? The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. <laughs> it's the baker. Whatever. So the baker comes. Who, who also talked to the godfather and asked for a favor on the wedding day. What was his favor? I don't remember. I know he baked the cake, but I think he, I can't remember what exactly, if yeah, we know what he, he asked did. for. He's like, big cake, big cake. Um, with the bride and the groom and an angel. <laughs> and the thing. And the thing. Um, okay, so he's like, he's like, oh, so Michael, Al Pacino, right? He does something really smart. He tells them to like wait in front of the building for him. So once he gets his dad all situated, he also comes outside and he's like, throw away the flowers and put your hand in your pocket like you have a gun. So they would look like the like the guards or whoever that have They're it still there. left, um, which I guess two, because that car that pulls up holds like at least four or five people. But I guess that was enough for them to like scare them away, right? Well, I think the point of it was if those two guys are outside, then the cops didn't get rid of the bodyguards and there's more people inside, right? That's the whole point of it. That's, that's what I thought too. But um, I love the timing of them pulling away and then the cops arriving, beating yeah, the shit out of my... The response time of those police is, is not believable. <laughs> yeah. The, the captain of the police beating the shit out of Michael. And then at that point, the... The rest of the um, family come. Right. Tom, you know, they, he makes a call. Tom Hagen sends in these, like, what, private, private armed guards that have license for their guns and everything. Let me just say that that punch that broke Mike's jaw is a weak-ass punch. Um, that could have been better. That's, a, that's, that's definitely a quibble you can have with this movie because that was a – well, That's another. If you're going to talk about the the choreography for the fight scenes, you could <laughs> let's talk about how fake Sonny beating up Carlo in the uh, fire hydrant alley streetway was, like by uh, the garbage cans. Like those punches were like three feet away from his face, and I'm like, it, the only saving grace was the camera angles was like positioned just in the right way to make it kind of look like he was hitting him. Well, one of the punches for sure you couldn't see. So then that makes all the other punches suspect. And then you can also very clearly tell that that wasn't the actor who played Carlo. Oh, really? I couldn't. No. And there's one, like, when he's, when he's up against the fence getting punched, his face turns to us, the camera. And I was like, that's not fucking him at all. But apparently he must have been in at least some of the takes because I think uh, I read somewhere that Khan actually, like, broke some of his ribs and almost, like, and like did something else to him um which is interesting because we can get to this at this point uh carlo was apparently the other guy that's mob connected 
that's how he got the part. Oh. Uh, and it's really funny is Marlon Brando, right in front of the actor who played Carlo, was like, told Coppola, this guy's not very good. Can we get rid of him? And according to Carlo, later in life, he said, he told Brando, if you ever talk to me like that again, or if you ever stand in the way of me getting this role again, I'm going to break you apart and suck on your heart. And apparently he said it so real to Brando and Brando didn't know that he was like a mob affiliated guy that Brando's like, that's great. All right, cool. You can be in the movie still. <laughs> it's like a real threat. It's like, wow, you passed the audition. Good job. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do agree. The punch is definitely missed. I think that's a great scene though. Um, like him. Yeah, because you fucking hate the guy. So you're glad to see him beat the shit out of him. Well, yeah, too, but just the way it's shot, it's so perfect. You see Carlo, like, standing on this stoop, right? Pretending he runs thing when runs things when he's just, like, a fucking low-level What bookie. was he doing on the stoop? I think he was, I think he was running, like, a, a bookie operation because oh. they were talking about taking bets. He's like, stop taking those bets. Um, and then the car pulling up, and just James Conn throwing what, like a piece of plywood at him? I don't even yeah. know what that was. A pipe or something? Yeah. Right. And then just chasing him down the streets. Like, I think that that's a pretty like awesome scene. Yeah, he we're made gonna the keep, mistake. We're going to keep saying that about the scenes. We are. We are. I mean, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So after that, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, the result of that was caused through like, we set up for Sonny, right? Being shot up, but we skipped something. We skipped the, uh, we skipped the assassination. Oh, we, so the, the assassination. Turk, yeah, Salazzo the Turk says that he wants to meet Mike to discuss, you know, a truce basically. And they find out that McCluskey's going to be there too. And Tom Hagen is of like, that's we a bad that. idea. Yes, yes, yes. And Mike's like, well, why don't I just kill them both? And they all sort of laugh it off. And then Mike's like, no, like, you know, we'll kill him. I know. And they say, like, no one's ever killed a cop. And he's like, but this is a dirty cop. And we run the newspapers. So why don't we have the newspapers talk about how he's a dirty cop? And they're like, that might work. You know that? And, and we're actually coming up on my favorite scene in the entire movie. The actual, the, the hit? No. When, uh, so the whole plan, right, is not to have a gun on him. Is to have a gun already planted inside the bathroom of the restaurant so that when he's frisked in the beginning, he comes up clean. And the scene where Al Pacino walks into the bathroom and you see his, like, he's super fucking nervous. And he reaches behind the toilet tank and feels for the gun that is supposed to be back there. And the fact that as the audience, you don't see behind there because he can't see behind there. And he's just feeling around for it. And it's like he's panicking a little bit and he feels like higher up in it. And it just gives this moment where uh, I love it. It's like a real high stakes moment for me, at least, because you don't know if they were successful in planting the gun back there. And the fact that it takes a second for him to find it and like that reveal where he like finally pulls it out I thought was just so like, so well done. Like the timing and everything. Cause up to the point where you, you see it in his hand, you don't know if they successfully had it back there. Uh, 
no right yeah he's it's definitely he's definitely struggling to find it which makes sense right like he's you don't you're not sure um if he's going to be able to right. and i also i really like the them waiting and they're like what 12 hours well no maybe like an hour and a half it's an hour and a half before they're he's supposed to be picked up for the meeting and they still don't know where it is and then Sonny gets a call from someone that works in the police department. He's like, McCluskey has to tell us where he is at all times. And he's taking two hours off to be at this restaurant in the Bronx. Uh, you know, so that's when they can plant the gun and like get things moving. And they um, think they're being sly because they're going to New Jersey and then they pull off in the median on the bridge and like lose them, but there's no one really to lose. Right. Um, and so the, the, the hit scene I was getting when I was about to watch it, I think I was getting confused with the the scene that Ray Liotta the sh- Ray Liotta hit, uh, kills two people in a restaurant uh-huh. and walks out. Right? Doesn't he like walk through the back door, shoot some guys, and walk through the front door and just gets picked up as the guy like is driving around the block? He's like driving around the block wants someone to kill these guys. Yeah. So what I was like, isn't that? I was like, I thought that those scenes are like so closely related. I was like, I like got confused about which one I was going to see. I love how he, they're instructing him that are like, as soon as you come out of the bathroom, two pops in the head, drop the gun and leave. Right. Right. And he finds the gun. I, I, I don't know. I just fall in love with that scene because just the way Al Pacino's acting is, it's just spot on, but he doesn't like when he walks out of the bathroom, he doesn't walk out firing. He sits back down. The guy's talking to him more in Italian, which I had subtitles on. Because uh, at the very beginning, I couldn't hear a fucking word Marlon Brando was saying um, or understand anything he was saying. So I put the subtitles on. But I was really disappointed because there was no subtitles for all the Italian. Uh, yeah, apparently that was because the guy was, Salazzo was speaking too fast for the subtitles to keep up. Um, but if you go online, you can read it. And it's basically like, I'm not going to go after your old man anymore. Uh, we need to have a truce. Um, everything will be cool from now on. And we'll just, you know, it'll be. But they kept referring to the the police officer who couldn't understand Italian. Were they talking shit about him or? Um, no, th- no, they didn't mention that. I mean, it's a very short amount of, of dialogue. What, one thing I want to bring up that I think is funny is Abe Vagoda uh, that plays Tessio the guy who eventually also kind of sells out Mike in the end, the taller guy. Yeah. You got the fat guy and the tall guy as the two, like kind of, they're like in they're enforcers, but they're also kind of like free agents and they like eventually maybe would get to start their own thing. Um, Abe Vigoda has a photographic memory of this restaurant, including the setup of the toilet, <laughs> this random restaurant in the Bronx. He's like, Oh, I've been to that place. Quiet diner, local folks. No one will bother you. Oh, the toilet. It's got one of those boxes on the water. Like, what the fuck do you, why do you know this? I don't know. I feel like that's something that would just, I don't know. I'm kind of like that. Not with everything, but I, I would remember a weird toilet tank. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, I agree with you too. That is, you know, obviously another iconic scene in a movie full of them. Um, and so next you get uh, Don Corleone being brought home from the hospital which uh, apparently when they carried him up the stairs as a prank, he added weights to his, like, his, the thing they were carrying him on just to fuck with people. Um, Which, as, as speaking of pranks, I heard that there was so much mooning done on set 
Right. Like Robert Duvall, like showing his ass to like Marlon Brando, that Marlon Brando, like just like cracked up laughing, like fell over laughing in the back of one of the cars. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that did happen a lot too. Um, But no, hold on. So we're missing the fact that Michael now has to be like exiled to Italy to like Sicily, whatever. Isn't Sicily in Italy? I think it's a separate thing. Shut the fuck up. All right. It's it's at the bottom. I think it's the thing getting kicked by the boot. That's Italy. Sicily is a separate country from Italy. Sicily is not a separate country from Italy. You're full of shit. It might be a region in Italy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think Sicily... Point, shut up, David. The point I'm trying to make is that he's, like, put there now. Like, he has to stay hidden for however many years. His brother is, like, one year, but fuck that. That's, it was a lot of years. Um, one thing that we actually missed talking about was the uh, Luca scene where they they were like telling Mike to call Luca at the same time that they bring in a package full of dead fish. And uh, Sonny's like, what the hell is this? And then the other guy's like, oh, it's it's means that Luca is swimming with the fishes. It's a Sicilian thing. Sleeping. Whatever. If he was swimming with the fishes, He's he sleeping would still with be the, alive. Well, I mean, fish are alive when they sleep. By the way, you know why they knew it was Luca, right? Because they had his vest. His had his vest. vest. Yeah, I understand that. I think the next part that's really important is obviously Sicily. There's like some little stuff here and there. Fredo gets sent to Vegas, which is setting up the kind of the climax of the film at the end. Uh, Carlo at some point tells Connie to shut up, which is like the start of, you know, their rockiness, which obviously, you know, once again, not necessary, but you have a line where they're at dinner and Carlo in front of other people tells Connie to shut up. And Sonny sort of gets involved and you're like, it's just a, you know, a little breadcrumb to set up like later on, like what's going to happen in this movie. And it's just so well written. Yeah. I've... The movie is so good at setting up these little, not Easter eggs, just these little nuggets that pay off so well in the end. And I really thought like there was a while at the end that I really thought that they were just like plot wise, the movie was going to leave Carlo as a, as a uh, loose loose thread, um, but they didn't. That was like the yeah. last thing they wrapped up. Wrapped it up good. Um, I like the Sicily scenes. I think they're pretty cool. Uh, I specifically yeah. like well, one. I th- I thought Mike had been there for a while, but he still got the bruised face. Which I guess if his bra was his jaw was broken then it would make sense that it would last a while. But I still thought that was odd. Um, I do love when they get to the city and he's like, where are all the men? And he's like, they've killed all, they've all killed each other. Just kind of showing you like how rough this place is. Right. Um, But the scene where he, like they're talking about the woman they saw to her father. This is so good. And then they're like, yeah. And then they're like, we got to get out of here, Mike. And Mike's like, the fuck we do. (laughs) Like, I just I'm over here because I killed a cop. I'll talk to this dad. Like, bring him back out here. Yeah, and the development of Mike being in Sicily, he kind of turns into like this badass. Very quickly, that'll that'll do it. When you when you kill a drug kingpin and like a police chief captain, I don't know what that McCluskey's role was. I think um, you're right. He was captain. Yeah. 
it's also the scene where he has to like meet the whole family just to be able to take her on a walk and like buy her a gift um is is pretty cool it's like it's it's funny how movies like this can set up your whole notion of like what a culture may be like but this could be completely wrong <laughs> like you watch uh goodfellas and godfather and now you know exactly what all italians are like yeah they probably wouldn't like that although i will say when this movie was being made apparently like a lot of mafia men were like very threatening to paramount and the people involved in making it but then after they saw it, like a lot of them saw it in theaters, they were like, no, that's exactly how it's, that's, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> good job. Good job. Um, the next scene, which we already, we discussed in detail, Carlo getting his ass beat. So yeah. I don't think we need to go over it again. No, we're good. Um, but Mike getting married to Apollonia. Um, and then Kay at the same time comes to the house to ask about Mike. And I do, uh, I like Tom Hagen's like, I don't know where he is. She's like, well, can you at least take this letter? And he's like, if I take that letter, then in a court of law, I, uh, you know, they'll know that I know where Mike is. I can't even touch that thing, yeah. which is, is interesting. It's pretty cool. And then the not so cool part, right? Because both Carlo getting beat up and Mike getting married lead to Sonny being set up by Carlo um, at the like, toll booth right you would yeah. call that the toll booth of the causeway um being shot up by like seven dudes right jesus yeah i think so. yes yeah with uh apparently the guy who put all the squibs on him it was like over 100 he told james con he's like this is the most squibs i've ever put on someone james con was like i don't need to hear that shit <laughs> like and they only had one chance to film it because of just like how much destruction it you know like they couldn't keep doing it also so scripts fucking hurt dude like, i don't know put a hundred on no they do like there are many explosive explosives on you wow james like, Conn really uh putting it down for the cause you know what i mean really did really did although that's a great scene right like as far as um uh suspense goes because you got the the car in front of him that stops and the two guys get out, and then he looks over at the guard. The guard ducks down like he's like dropped some coins, and then he closes himself up, which I'm pretty sure the guard is dead too, because the guard, that's a wooden toll box. Like those bullets go right through that thing. Well, he was behind the car at least. The so car behind... was riddled with bullets. Right, but he's behind both. You know, they were only shooting from one side and then the front. That cop's probably fine. He probably crawled out. You think he was paid off? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, Maybe uh, they, told, they promised him money, and then they made sure he was dead. I also thought at the end, um, when, they kicked the, when they kicked Sonny in the face, I was like, that seems unnecessary. Uh, but then it's kind of like a callback to when Sonny kicked Carlo in the face in the middle of the street. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it was a little bit overkill. He was... It's, it's almost kind of like, too, like, they learned their lesson with uh, Vito Corleone. They're like, you know, five, seven shots to the back. No. Nah. We got to do better. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that was just, like, over overkill. Um, and then uh, Don Corleone gets that favor from The Undertaker that he, he was like, put my boy back together. 
look how they massacred my boy, which is like I, such, it's probably the most memeable moment of this movie. I don't want his mother to see him like this. Yeah. Well, that part's sad. You have to bring that up. Sorry. Um, one great scene right before that, though, is the first time we see since he's been shot, uh, Vito Corleone out of bed. Yeah. And he finds Tom just sitting there at, you know, drinking. And I love the line of like, you know, well, why don't you tell me what everyone else seems to already know? And uh, he's like, he's like, oh, in uh, or no, Tom Hagen's like, well, I was, I just, you know, needed a drink first. And Vito's like, all right, well, you've had your drink. Um, all that is just really good. This movie's good, David. It's not a bad, it's not a bad flick. We talked about the killing of Apollonia and you laughing about it for some reason. So I don't think we need to go through. Talk it about a memeable moment. No, that was sad. I actually no, Apollonia, no. I, no, I I actually really I was like, where's this going? It's like poor Kay left back in the states, and apparently she's been waiting for him for years, I guess. Um, and then he just goes gets married, like forget Kay, whatever, who cares? Um, and then he loses his wife in Sicily. She blows up in the car. He returns back to America and does like for, he says for a year. Was that a lie to Kay? I don't know. The, so from this point on, the timeline of the movie gets a little fast and loose. I don't think it causes any real issues with the story, but he's been back a year. Um, and then like a little bit later, we're going to find out that like they already have a son together, like once he starts taking over. So like, yeah. I want to get into that. But yeah, like the, it's, it's the timeline's a little bit odd, like from here on. But before that, a really cool scene is the meeting of the five families. Um, I think the dialogue's pretty great all around, but I you're, love... You're talking about the one where Corleone is like, um, if if Mike has lightning strike him, I'm going to blame one of you guys. Right. If he gets shot by a cop or hangs himself or gets struck by lightning, I will blame the people in this room. Um, and what's, uh, you know, before that he says, you know, I've never, I've never turned down an accommodation except this one. And Barzini's like, well, you can't even turn down this one. Like, we need, you know, you shouldn't be able to do that. We need your help and influence. And I love, like, Don Corleone is so, is so smart because he realized I, the line of, like, I didn't know until this day that Barzini was, like, behind this entire thing. He's yeah. like, and now I'm sure. Like, yeah. that, that's a really cool part of this. So how is he sure? I think you have to explain that one to me. Just because the of what Barzini says, right? Like, he... He kind of, Barzini positioned this as he's calling this meeting to solve this issue between Tatalia and Corleone because they're, they keep going back and forth and killing each other. Like Tatalia's son, Bruno, got killed. Sonny got killed. And he's trying to cause, you know, to bring harmony because this is not good for business. But then when Vito's like, you know, I've done everything you've asked for i just said i can't do this one thing barzini's like well you need to do that one thing and so that's when he knows like okay barzini has like a vested interest because barzini could be like no yeah he's kind of right he's he does everything like he doesn't have to do this one thing for you but barzini is going to make money off of this too barzini wants to bring in the drugs yeah um and so that's how he knows at least okay. that's what i that's what i figured 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, that makes sense. Um, you talked about him meeting Kay. <laughs> I love when she's like, when he tells her, you know, you know, I'm helping with the family business. And he's like, you know, my dad's just like any other senator or person with power. And she's like, you're being naive. He's like, what's the difference? He's like, senators don't kill people. He's like, well, who's being naive now? Yeah, yeah. senators and presidents don't kill people, Mike. You know, we talked about how Tom will sometimes feel like he's completely a brother and then sometimes he'll just be kicked to the curb. You know, so after, after Mike sees Kay and then basically asks her to marry her and, you know, says, Hey, like in five years, we're going to be legitimate, you, you know, and she very quickly gets brought in and she's like, all right, I'm on board again. Um, you know, they have a meeting and this is where I think it probably jumps like ahead again. Yeah, yeah it does. Because, because they have the meeting uh, Vito Corleone's like, hey, Mike's in charge now. And Mike's like, to Tom Hagen's like, you're out. You're no longer conciliary. You have to go to Vegas with Fredo. I need like a wartime conciliary. And that's my dad. You know, who could be better than my dad to help? Um, <laughs> Tom is so like, so meekly like, but maybe I could help you. And Mike just, you're out, Tom. Like you're gone. It's kind of a bad beat for Tom, but you know he'll be back eventually. Yeah, I mean, it's Robert Duvall, right? It's funny is I would, when I saw him, I was like, man, he looks so young and like, oh, look at him with hair. And then apparently his one comment from the movie is I wish they'd given me a better wig. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. I thought, I thought it worked. Oh, shit. That's really funny. Maybe he just meant like a more like. Believable? I don't believe, know. Not believable, just more hair. I don't know. Um, okay. So Robert Duvall has always been bald. Got it since since he was in uh since he played boo radley he was a bald person at like 13 years old you know some of those actors who are just like always like okay for example bruce willis i asked taylor the other day in the very first Die Hard movie was bruce willis bald and without hesitation she goes yeah of course he was bald and i go he was she's like yeah bruce willis has always been bald i'm like okay so then i show her a picture she's like holy shit, what? And I was like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, always been bald? She's like, yeah. Scorpion King. No, he had a haircut. I was like, exactly, exactly. Well, the thing about uh, Bruce Willis may have actually been bald and just like, <laughs> that might have been a good piece. Who knows? It, it's funny too, though, the guys that have always been bald but have been wearing like a piece their entire career. And so they just come out with it like, I'm talking about Travolta here, but just come out with like this weird hair, like all the time. Like, I don't know when Travolta actually lost his hair. Like it could have been Saturday night fever for all we know. Like, <laughs> um, the next scene is Vegas, which is also a pretty cool one. You know, I like Fredo, Vegas. Fredo acting like a big shot. Like this is just like the best time of his life out here. Yeah. Um, and then he brings all these girls for Mike. Cause he thinks that's what Mike wants. And Mike's like, I'm here for a limited time. Get them the fuck out of here. Um, and then he tells Frank Sinatra, uh, Fontaine that, you know, Hey, I don't know what's wrong with Mike. Um, you know, that whole scene is cool. I accept it. It gets a lot better when Mo Green gets in. Mo Green. I think he's probably the best part of the, the Vegas scenes. Mo Green, Mo problems. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> uh, I like how he's like, I'm buying you out. He's like, no. You don't buy me out. I buy you out. He's like, no, 
Mm-mm. He's like, Barzini would never allow this. And of course, he doesn't know Mike's ultimate plan. And it's kind of funny too, is it's it's almost it's almost better for Mike that Mogreen says no. You know what I mean? Right. Like no, it is, yeah. He doesn't this whole meeting is just like perfunctory. Like, I'm gonna do it, but the outcome is meaningless to me because either you're gonna die or you're gonna sell it to me. And honestly, I'd probably rather you die because you slapped around Fredo. So fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Um, now we get to the point where Mike becomes the godfather. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm jumping a little bit farther ahead here. Don Corleone dies. And the way he dies is like the most tragic way that he could have died. Because obviously a lot of time has jumped at this point because he's much, much older. His hair's a little longer. And the grandchild is quite a bit older too. Um. Yeah, the grandchild's like three. So that's why I think the scene where... I think the scene where Mike is telling Tom Hagen to go out to Vegas, I think that's probably we've jumped ahead to at least like a couple years. We don't see the sun yet, but like, yeah, the whole point from K to, to the scene where the Don dies is like a three year period. And we get like 15 minutes of, of, you know, scenes from it. So it's, it's, it's really kind of crazy. Um, what do you think of that death scene in the tomato plants? Uh, I thought it was interesting. It's it's odd, but it's like also too. It's so iconic, like that. I don't know. It works. I think it works for me. But it it is. It's an odd. It's it's odd, but it's also kind of poetic in that, like, you know, the Don has you know established himself as this guy that like doesn't unnecessarily kill his rivals and doesn't do like crimes that he doesn't need to. He dips his toes in gambling because he he feels like it's victimless and maybe shouldn't even be illegal. Right. So he's not the type of guy to like start these wars. So him dying, like just untragically from like a heart condition, like playing around with his grandson is kind of like, it kind of makes sense. I thought at first the um, the grandson was was um, spraying pesticides on the plant, and I was like, "Why is he just letting like his grandson run around with poison?" And I was like, "Oh, it's just water." Okay, it's pretty. So, but let's talk about the kid actor for a second, because I thought like when Marlon Brando genuinely scared the shit out of him, and then like he recovered from that pretty pretty fast. I thought it was great, like. Just like little kid acting, but just really well edited little kid acting. You know, it's also funny too is so they call the kid Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is because the kid acted a lot better when they used his real name. And so, like, from here on in Godfather 2 and 3, when he makes an appearance, like, that name has now had to stick because they had to use it for, which, which obviously Anthony works as like an Italian <laughs> name, but it's just really funny. Um, I'm just, I'm just thinking about a name that like the little kid's name was like Zachary or something like that. It just wouldn't, not Italian at all. (laughs) They'd have to do, they'd have to like dub it in post. Um, but before that, before the Don dies in that scene, the scene where he is continually telling him like, Hey, Barzini is going to send someone you trust. Oh, you're selling Michael. Yeah. 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 yeah, Sorry. It's like. Barzini's talent is going to send someone you trust. That's going to be the rat. That's how he's going to try and get to you. And that's how he's going to kill you. 
it's really cool because it does two things. It shows you like his, his mind is so sharp in knowing like how this world works and like being able to give Michael like the information he needs. Right. So who does he send? um, I'll tell you in a second, but at the same time, he's losing it because he keeps repeating it. And apparently even before this conversation, he's told Michael several times and it's just like, it's he's he is like kind of delving deeper deeper into you know not maybe dementia but just he's getting older and so he's like you know constantly just repeating himself yeah um the the person that gets and the person that gets sent by barzini is tessio played by abe vagoda which before this the only thing i knew abe vagoda from was conan o'brien jokes saying that abe vagoda has looked old his entire life <laughs> which is funny because that was in like the early 2000s and late 90s and he doesn't look much younger in this movie like 30 years earlier. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, he reminds me, that joke also applies to uh, Doc Brown. Oh, absolutely. From, from Back to the Future. I'm, his, name, his name escapes me right now. Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Yes, Christopher Lloyd has looked old his entire life. Um. That's a guy who was born bald. No. Um, all right. Actually, Christopher Lloyd has more hair than Bruce Willis. The point that I'm trying to make, though, is that the book endings of him being like the godfather and then Michael becoming the godfather, I thought was a little cheesy. Like, you don't need to be a godfather to be Don. I don't think it was needed, right, for him to be called Godfather to be an actual Godfather. But I think what it does is it kind of one, it, it's a cool way to to show like these two worlds at the same time, right? Like the family aspect and then him taking care of business. Um, but it's also kind of it's just like poetic, right? Like you know, it starts with the wedding of of his of his daughter, Don Corleone's daughter. And then it ends with like the baptism of her, her son. And, you know, Don Corleone might've taken a, might've been the godfather of her son, but he's gone now. And Michael's taking over not only the role in the business, but the role in the family. So I think that's why it works. Yeah. Cause as, as he's giving his little um, godfather prayer speech, whatever, um, it's like being spliced in editing with his men like taking systematically taking out all of his threats. And I love the thing is like, do you renounce Satan and all of his evils, evil doings? And he's like, I do, I do. And then it's just, (laughs) just murdering all these people. Yeah. um, My favorite is, you notice uh, Clemenza, the, the fat guy who's like walking up all the stairs. Yeah. And he looks like really out of breath. And I like noticed it too. I was like, yeah, man, that looks like he is not doing well with that. Apparently he, he pissed Coppola off and Coppola made him do that scene like 20 times of walking up the stairs. (laughs) It looks like it's like four flights. Um, But I, I, I love that scene because you got the, like the cop who's like getting the driver, giving the driver a ticket because so he can stay out there. And then him like taking out Barzini from the top of the steps and him rolling all the way down. Yeah. Um, yeah, Clemenza taking out those guys once they open the door. It's just, it's so cool. And you're right, like the backdrop of him, you know, 
saying I will. So like this, this questions from the, uh, from the priest as, as his, what's, what's being know. really, what's being just as pos- positioned at that point is the voiceover. Cause even though it's skipping from one scene to the other or, or um, switching between one scene and the other, the voiceover of the priest and Michael speaking and praying, that's what's being, um, that's the audio through the whole, the whole thing. So that's great. Yeah. Who, who, who else, how, who else died? How they died? So Tatalia died, Barzini died. No, no. How, how, like, well, so uh, one guy was shot through the door when they opened it. Oh no, the elevator, when the, when the elevator came. The elevator, the elevator opened and then coming out from the staircase, rolling down the stairs. Oh, locking him in the, um, Oh yeah. Revolving door. No, that was great. Yeah. Um, Mo Green gets shot in the eye while he's getting a massage. Yeah, that was great. And then the guy in bed with either a mistress or a wife. Um, middle of the day, probably mistress. Yeah, but I didn't recognize him. I yeah, I didn't either. I mean, you know, so Tatalia and Barzini. I recognize Barzini more. I can't remember which one. Tatalia was. I think Tatalia might have been the guy in the door, um, but I'm not sure. Yeah, th- that part is a little like. We don't know who these. I don't really know who these other two guys that are getting shot. The I head know of Mo the five, Green. It's the head of the five families, right? Well, no, it's not because five people got killed. One of them's Mo Green. I think the other two were just kind of guys. Um, oh. They might have been guys uh, attached to the family or Salazzo. I'm not exactly sure what they were. I don't think he was necessarily. He didn't need to take out every one of the other five families. He needed to take out Barzini and Tatalia because they were still coming after him. Well, Abe Vigoda. When they finally go for Abe Vigoda, you actually don't see his death on screen, but I assume he does get killed. Well, yeah, because they tell him he needs to go somewhere, and then all the guys surround him, and then Tom's like, oh, I'm not going either. And Abe, just the, the realization of, like, Tom, can you get me off the hook for this? And just – he says it so matter-of-factly, like, I'm about to die. Hey, can, can I not die? And Tom <laughs> just like, sorry, can't do it, Sally. It's like, yeah, no. You're, you're yeah. going to die. Just the, the matter of factness of this world they live in where it's like, all right, well, so I'm about to die. Hey, can I not die? No, you have to die. All right, guess I'll go. Is, yeah, but I mean, we, we talked about the very matter of fact way people treat death in, uh, in Goodfellas too. It's, you know, it's very similar. Um, that tradition the just the way of the trade i guess um so we got one last death to talk about and then we got the ending which actually i actually absolutely fell in love with the ending um but let's just talk about carlo because they really had me going there for a while thinking that carlo was gonna live yeah and he you know carlo honestly with the way the timeline worked out for the uh, end of the movie what he got like an extra four or five years yeah after he killed Sonny. So, you know, not bad considering what he did. I just also don't know how he thought he was going to get away with it. Like, I don't, I don't get it. He doesn't strike me as the smartest cookie in the jar. Yeah. I didn't know cookies were smart, but also just like, if you're going to have Barzini apparently, you know, came to him and gave him this opportunity, why didn't you then just leave the family and go with Barzini? Like, 
I guess maybe because initially, like, everything seemed to be cool and no one suspected you. And then Mike came along and was like, I know what you did. Now tell me what you did. Uh, especially he's like, you know, am I going to make my sister a widow? You know, I'm your godfather to your son. And then he tells him. Um, and then just the farce of, like, packing his bags and, like, put, buying him a plane ticket is, like, it's almost kind of nice, right? Because, you know dying obviously well dying sucks right but not knowing you're gonna die until it just happens i mean a gunshot to the head would have been nicer because he would have never realized he was dying exactly. but not having the anxiety like abe vagoda had to like get driven away and then killed just knowing the whole time like i'm about to die that kind of sucks but just getting killed like especially if it had been a gunshot you know it's it's but see that's the point though right if it had been a gunshot I would agree with you. But the fact that it was this like slow strangulation from the backseat of a car while your feet are flailing so hard, breaking the windshield of said car. Um, I think the whole purpose of that death though was for him to suffer. I mean, you killed his brother. Of course you're going to suffer for that. And I love the audacity of the sister coming in at the end and being like, you killed him, Michael. You killed him. You really killed him, didn't you? Kill him, you son of a bitch. And uh, it's like, well, yeah, but he killed our brother, right? Well, and he, also, and he's he, like, he, he's he, like, she's you? she's like, his, she's hysterical, and someone get her a doctor. It's like, well, no, she's right, and you killed her husband, which it does raise the question, like, so did they have like an actual tumultuous re- relationship where? he beat her all the time and maybe he's even still beating her and cheating on her. Or did they go through this manufactured rough patch where he like beat her to get Sonny to come after him so that he could get Sonny killed? I would, I would assume the former that, you know, he was cheating on her a lot and probably they fought a lot. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't think that was manufactured, but here's my favorite part. Ready? Is when, Diane Keaton is like, did you actually kill your brother-in-law? And Michael is like, don't ever ask me about what I do ever again. And he's like, okay, fine. Like, where's him down? He's, he's like, you can ask this me one once. Time. One time. She looks him straight in the eye. It's like, did you do it? And he says, no. And she takes it as truth because like why wouldn't she i guess or if she he said she could he said she could ask he didn't say he's gonna tell her the truth so yeah but if she did have doubts then she probably was just wanting to turn a blind eye to all his evil doing so she was like oh okay cool i'll just i mean she's married she's married to him they have a son of course she wants to believe him right um but then I think this is very, very iconic too, is when she leaves the room and the other two guys join him and she turns back and the door closes on her. Like she's seeing him through the frame of the doorway and it's all this like very shadowed, lit, dark. And it's like, you can't hear what they're saying and she can't hear what they're saying. And then the door closes on her. It's just like speaks volumes to what their relation, their entire relationship is going to be from now on. Right too, and also he's meeting with like all the people that carried out the hits, and they're like kissing his ring, yeah, and just like 
you know, you can ask me this question one time, but don't ever ask me about my business again. Yeah. And then a- after she believes him, like the door is being closed on that part of his life. And it's like, they're going to be separate. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe a little on the nose, but I don't know. It works. No, no, no. I love that. That was like on the nose was him becoming a godfather at the end. What well, was the subtle works of like genius writing and directing was the door being closed on her and not had did you notice too it wasn't the ending shot of him closing the door the ending shot was of her face being having the door closed on so it's like we as the audience are going to be on the other side of that door and she is going to keep the fuck out which i'm guessing me not knowing anything about this movie beforehand and not knowing about what Godfather 2 or Godfather 3 is about. But I'm just guessing it's like the rise of, of Michael Corleone just coming and rising above the ranks is... No? No. No. Okay, well, that's for a different episode, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely have to do two. Three we can decide after. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. I've probably gone over most of the things I looked up about this, but a couple cool things. One, um, so Brando won the Best Acting Oscar. Um, He didn't attend the awards. Instead, he had um, a Native American woman accept the award on his behalf. And then just she kind of gave a speech about the mistreatment that indigenous people have kind of faced in this country. Rock on. I think, huh? I said rock on. Yeah, um, she actually got booed a little bit at first, and then like the cheers sort of overpowered the booze. And she like she was like, "I'm sorry for interrupting your night," but not in like a you know a kind of a catty way, but actually like she like, "I'm really sorry that you know I'm da da da," and it's just like uh, makes them look like more assholes. Really, you know what I mean? She's just like so apologetic. What um, what year was this? What year did this win? Uh, it was seventy. Three, I believe, is when it came out. Seventy-two, it came out. So then it won, won the for the 70, 70, 1973 Oscars. Okay. And then um, the best supporting actor category: Pacino, James Caan, and Robert Duvall were all nominated. Oh shit! Okay. And none and of them won. Who won? Joel Gray won for Cabaret. Cabaret, Joel Gray. Yeah. So also um, Al Pacino actually boycotted the Oscars because he was pissed that he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor instead of Best Actor because he had so much more screen time than uh, Marlon Brando. And he's like, Marlon Brando should have just only been nominated for Supporting. Which, I mean, I kind of agree on that. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so this one, best picture, best actor, and best screenplay. Oh, best screenplay. Yeah, I see that. Um, Well, let me me tell you, I really like this movie. And I know we had trouble finding it uh, to, like, stream. So I ended up just going to my local Barnes & Noble and finding it in the DVD section. And so I found um, Godfather 
right? And it was just, it wasn't anything special. It wasn't like a limited edition or like a director's cut or a box, a steel box set or anything. So it was like 12 bucks, 12.99. And then right next to it was all three in a box set for 19.99. And I was like, hell, I'll just, so now I have all three. So I'm totally down to like, anytime you want, watch the other two. Well, two will definitely have to be an episode because it'll be interesting to talk about, obviously. And like I said, I don't know, three maybe if we run out of ideas. Yeah. No, I want to do all three. I mean, whether we do an episode on the last one or not, I still want to watch them. Um, I, I know I was like super hesitant when we first started with Goodfellas about these like Mafia Ma movies, but um, I, haven't, I haven't been disappointed in... Uh, in one so that's a good sign well you've watched probably two of the best so as so, long as you as long as you just stick to the critically acclaimed i mean a lot of people consider this the best movie ever made and i don't think it's obviously wait, it's every, obviously not some a, people consider this the best movie ever made yeah absolutely godfather yeah a lot of people oh is that surprising okay. to you i mean it's good it's i just i it's good not that good but okay you're more of an amadeus guy right i'm totally more of an amadeus guy you know the first time i watched it i was just like yeah that's a good movie right um and that was you know this i said it was like eight years ago um watching it again like i said a lot of people think this you know think this is the best movie ever made um it's not my favorite movie but i think that argument is is very valid right like if someone says that i'd be like yeah of course um and that you know a lot of why people love movies has to do with when they watched it right i think movies that you watched in your teens early 20s are probably going to mean more to you than something you maybe watch later in life so you know i think that plays into it but it's just this is such a well-made movie it's so entertaining like you said the it flows it's three hours long but you feel like it's nothing to watch it um and so it's you know I really love this movie. Um, and I think it's the type of movie you can just put on all the time. Or if you see part of it, you can just like watch a few minutes of it and enjoy whatever part that happens to be. I don't, you know, we talk about other movies all the time and like, oh, that's not a great part or oh, this part didn't make sense. In this movie, like, yeah, there's like a punch that misses here. Or there's like a, why does Tessio know the exact layout of this Brooklyn bathroom? But I could watch every scene and be like, yeah, that scene's awesome. And that's why it's such a great movie. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Lon. And I finally watched The Godfather.